welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition of our podcast, I'll be joined by Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl and USC head coach Andy Enfield. Two interesting interviews. As for Enfield, the Trojans didn't make the NCAA tournament last season. Very disappointed. They thought they were right there, finishing second in the Pac-12. Runner-up to Arizona in the Pac-12 tournament. The Trojans fully believed that they would be in the NCAA tournament. Didn't happen. Ended up in the NIT. But they do return Benny Boatwright, who could be one of the best players in the country, assuming he's healthy and he is getting healthy for the Trojans. As for Auburn, you'll hear from Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl about that miraculous run to the co-SEC championship with Tennessee. Auburn also has four players testing the early entry NBA draft process. Got till May 30th to find out whether or not those guys are staying. So a lot of news surrounding Bruce Pearl's program, and a lot of it is positive, certainly after the run of the SEC co-title, winning a game in the NCAA tournament. And he thinks this Auburn team certainly could be a contender yet again in the SEC. So let's get to our interviews. Coming up here on March Madness 365, USC head coach Andy Enfield. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, USC head coach Andy Enfield. Uh, Andy, obviously, it's an interesting time here in the month of May. Uh, A lot of players have declared for the draft. A lot have stayed in. Some have hired agents. A couple have flirted and likely will go back. Uh, In your situation, you know, one player who is arguably one of your best players, if you're not the best player, he gets hurt, and Benny Boatwright, so he does not go through the draft process. What's the latest on his situation? Well, fortunately, we have a clear picture of who's going to be on our roster next season because Benny Boatwright will come back for his senior year. He did have knee surgery after the season. He should be 100% through some therapy uh, by the end of the summer, and we expect him to have a terrific senior year. I, I mean, he was off to a phenomenal start before he got hurt. Uh, I remember watching him on, in the Diamond Head Classic and the way he took over before the injury. How would you assess you know, where he was at in terms of his skill development and his impact on your roster and really the game? It was tough, Andy, in the out-of-conference the preseason because he was hurt two different times with a foot injury. He did come back and was healthy for this the semifinal and final of the Diamond Head Classic and received the MVP award well, as we won the uh, tournament. So he played great basketball, offensively and defensively. Came back, we started Pac-12. Uh, he got hurt again with his foot, and then he came back and, and, and injured his knee for the final time was out for the season. So he had a really rough junior season. Uh, but when he was healthy, he played outstanding basketball, and everyone saw the potential and the capability of Benny Boatwright. So a- as a senior, the expectations, I would think, could be endless for him. What, what do you see? Benny needs to have a playmaking year for us, meaning we lost a lot of production, especially at the point guard with Jordan McLaughlin, who was third in the nation in assists per game. We led the Pac-12 in assists. We also led the Pac-12 in least amount of turnovers, and we're top 10 in the nation in assist-to-turnover ratio. But predominantly, our ball hand was done by Jordan and a few other guards. Next year, our, our offense will be slightly different because Boatwright will have the ball in his hands a lot, and he's going to have to develop more playmaking skills to get his teammates involved. We expect him to score the ball at a high level, but also uh, average four or five assists a game next year because he'll be a, he has the ability to put the ball on the floor at six foot ten and also pass the ball. He's a great passer. Yeah, I mean he's that sort of prototy- prototypical, excuse me, big now that can do a little bit of everything with his size. Uh, you've got a very impressive 
newcomer class coming in. Uh, let's go through those guys. I mean, what kind of impact do you think that they'll have? The point guard from Florida, Elijah Weaver, six foot five, over two hundred pounds. He's college ready, excellent defender. He is a tremendous and willing passer. I saw him play in high school this year. He had 14 assists before he took a shot. So he is a, a terrific playmaker. Uh, he'll play a lot for us as a freshman. And Kevin Porter Jr. is our, our next guard from Seattle, Washington. He's 6'5", about 215 pounds. Once again, a college-ready body walking in the door with his athleticism and quickness and strength. Uh, he's a very, very skilled offensive player. He, he does things you just can't teach as a coach. And then Jerron Brooks is, is a do-it-all forward from Seattle, six foot eight, And Jerron is a, a very high IQ player with tremendous skill sets on offense and also a very good defender rebounder. So those three players make up a recruiting class, and we feel great about all three of those guys. So in the workouts since the end of the season uh, of the players that you know are coming back, uh, who else has stood out? to where you can anticipate, you know, with the three we just rattled off, with Benny Boatwright, will have an impact on the floor next season. Our team, our roster size will be smaller, Andy, than it was last year. Last year we had 13. This year we'll have 11 scholarship players, and they will all have an opportunity to help and produce this year because Derek Thornton's back for his redshirt junior year at the point guard. Uh, Jonah Matthews has had two outstanding years. Uh, he'll be a junior at the shooting guard spot. Jordan Usher returns as a sophomore. He played a lot as a freshman at both forward positions. Nick Rakosovic has really uh, emerged as a, a, t- a starter in the Pac-12 at six foot eleven. Very, very skilled uh, big man. Uh, Shaquan Aaron is back for his graduate season. He did graduate here uh, last week. Uh, he'll be a graduate student next year. He provides leadership and, and uh, that stability as an upperclassman. So we're excited about our attorneys. Charles O'Bannon uh, Jr., he, he is uh, uh, evolving as a player as well. Now, he uh, didn't play a lot as a freshman, but he's got the body type and the skill set to really help us. So I think everybody on our existing roster has a chance to play minutes, and I think our three freshmen coming in. And the last person I'll mention is Victor Lumelo, who's a 6'11". He played a little bit in the NIT, didn't play a lot last year, but we were so impressed with him, how he developed throughout the season, especially how he performed in the NIT last year when we played two games. Let me go to Thornton and Aaron. Uh, I mean, they were two transfers who were obviously, uh, you know, Thornton, anytime you get a Duke guy, I mean, Duke guys obviously come in very hyped. Uh, Aaron, I remember him when he was at Louisville. That transition to that second school where they're getting sort of a, a reset on their college career, sometimes they can have an immediate impact and they can be stars, and other times it may take a little while to get into that new system. I mean, how, how would you sort of gauge their transition over the last year to what you need out of both those guys? Well, Shaquan's been with us two years, three years with the transfer, but he only played two. Now, he's been in, he, he played in two NCAA tournaments, and, and this year he uh, uh, was very effective in a starting row and off the bench. So he's more acclimated to our system because he's been with us longer. Uh, Derek Thorne was the first year last year playing with us, but then he got hurt and missed 11 games, and he came back. Uh, the first week of Pac-12 play. So it took him a while to uh, grasp the the team concepts in our system as a point guard because that's probably the toughest position. But we were very proud of Derek. Uh, Towards the end of the year, he helped us win quite a few games down the stretch with his defense, his playmaking, and his his quickness and speed. So, Andy, obviously, and I remember talking to you about this at the Final Four, um, you guys, and you you could probably put Nebraska in that same boat, you know, out of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, you know, two schools who, you know, in theory, uh, you know, had great regular seasons 
and you know normally would be in the NCAA tournament, but you peel back uh, the resumes, if you will, and for whatever reasons, and we could get into the you know the minutia if we wanted to, but you know the committee didn't see it that way. You win twelve games in the league. You know, like I said Nebraska wins thirteen in the Big Ten. As you digested that, and you look back, you know, at this season. You know, what's done is done. But where could you look back and say, you know what, maybe that was one game or two games that if it had gone our way, you know, I think we're in there. Andy, I think every every team has strengths and weaknesses on their resume, on their schedule. Uh, we were second in the Pac-12 during the regular season outright. We went to the conference championship game, had the lead on Arizona at halftime, a tie game with 10 minutes left. Uh, they beat us down the stretch. So we did not win the Pac-12 championship tournament, but we were close. Our RPI was 34 in the nation. Our strength of schedule was 36. That means we played a good schedule and we did well against it. We had 23 wins after the Pac-12 tournament. We also had 11 wins away from home. The lowest RPI team from a power conference never to make the tournament was 49. We were 34 in the RPI. We were 15 spots lower than the previous team to never make the tournament. So if you look at all the metrics, I don't understand why we didn't make it, and I really don't care uh, that you can justify strengths and weaknesses on everybody's schedule, but uh, I think it is a bad precedent when, when you start uh, uh, excluding the second-place team in a power conference that goes to the championship game because if you watch our team play, uh, you realize that we, we – probably earned a spot and we're good enough to win games in this NCAA tournament because we won two two games in a the, in the tournament the year before and, and had gone to the tournament two straight years. So we were certainly, uh, from, from a talent standpoint and the way we were playing down the stretch, uh, I thought we were definitely good enough to, to, to win games in this tournament. So uh, we, we don't talk about it here. We, we're, we're mo- we've moved on from that, but no one can tell me what the, <laughs> that I'm going to agree with to say we didn't deserve to make it. So look, you, you played a challenging non-conference schedule. Well, we won the we won the Diamond Head Classic that had uh, Miami, uh, Middle Tennessee State, who was ranked 22nd in the country two weeks before Selection Sunday. New Mexico State went to the tournament. We beat them, and they're an excellent team. And Davidson was in that tournament as well. So that was a very challenging field over in the Diamond Head. We won that tournament as well. Uh, so yeah, we did play a great schedule. So with that being said, you know you, you you've done that aspect of it. What have you guys set up for next season? Where you think at least you know you're going to at least continue on that trend of at least putting yourselves in position possibly of getting a bid if you're in that at large pool well we have a challenging schedule our league is very good uh, the league was good last year we have we've had more draft picks i think 14 draft picks in last year's nba draft we'll have eight or nine or ten this year as well so the league has always been very good with, with good teams good players uh, so we we uh we believe that we have a challenging schedule uh, the other conferences are excellent. We play TCU in a neutral site here at the Staples Center. We go on the road to play Oklahoma uh, in uh, Tulsa uh, at a neutral site. Uh, we play Vanderbilt at home. Uh, let's see. We play uh, uh, on the road against Santa Clara, another tough road game. Then we play uh, in the NABC exempt tournament with Nebraska, who you just mentioned, who has everybody back. Wow, wow what a good team they are. And, and Texas Tech, who went to the Elite Eight or Sweet 16 this year. They're in that event as well. Uh, and then we have the Pac-12. And any time you play Oregon and UCLA and Arizona a couple times a year, and as well as all the other good teams in our league. So our strength of schedule last year was 36 in the nation, and our RPI was 34. So obviously we played a challenging schedule last year, and this year is probably going to be more difficult. In fact, I think we just added a, a game against Nevada, who uh, is preseason top 10 or top 15 in the country as well. And where's that game? I, I believe it's going to be uh, at home here in uh, Los Angeles. You know, look, the Pac-12, uh, very competitive during the season, did not have obviously a great 
uh, postseason, not able to get to that second weekend in the NCAA tournament. Uh, how much do you think that was sort of an anomaly? And rather, do you think that uh, next season in 2019, we'll see the Pac-12 advancing and, and potentially, you know, making deep runs? Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to speak for any other team uh, in our league or anywhere else. Uh, I did tell you just recently, <laughs> a few minutes ago, that I believe if we would have been in the NCAA tournament, we were good enough to win a few games in the tournament because we were playing very well and because we were just good enough to do that. So Benny Boatwright, had he not gotten hurt, and I know it's hard to be an armchair quarterback here, um, was he playing at a level where it might have been hard to, to keep him in school? Well, Benny has had two tough years with injuries, and the goal right now was to go in, do the surgery on his knee to tighten that uh, knee up, and I think he's going to be 100%. In, pre- in fact, I think he's going to feel better by the end of the summer than he has in the last two or three years from a physical standpoint. He'll get in great shape. Uh, so we, we believe Benny is an NBA basketball player. He's six foot ten, has guard skills, and it's just unfortunate. You, you, you feel so badly for kids uh, or, or young men that, that have those injuries. They're just freak things. He, he stepped on someone's foot. He came down wrong. It, it wasn't. Uh, it was just a freak injury. So you really feel for the, the players uh, because uh, uh, you hate to see them sitting on the sideline and in, tr- in a training room rehabbing when they should be out in the court. And, Andy, before I let you go, obviously there's a lot of change in the air in terms of this draft rule. I'm uh, not necessarily talking about the one and done, but whether or not you can stay in the draft, get you know go through it, be undrafted, and come back. We'll see if uh, the NCAA uh, Board of Directors uh, ends up adopting something like that. Uh, where do you stand on the draft issue of whether or not because, you, you, like you said at the top of this, it's sort of clean for you. You know who's in, you know who's out. But, you know, I'm sure there's been other years or there could be other years where you'd have to sweat out until the 30th. What do you think about this rule potentially of allowing players that freedom if they go through and go undrafted uh, that they could potentially come back to school? I'm not sure what the right or wrong answer is. Uh, I, I do believe that too many players leave early because – a lot of players don't get drafted. There's only 60 draft picks, and some of those are overseas or international players that don't even play in the end subway. So a lot of players that are very good don't get drafted, and it puts themselves in, a, in a, a peculiar position because for their development, they probably would be, be better developed and become a better draft prospect if they stayed an extra year in college. Uh, but they've made that decision to turn professionally, uh, and, and it's hard to see really good players not make the NBA and then have to go to the D League or G League or go overseas when they could have stayed an extra year and probably been a first-rounder or definitely a second-round pick. Uh, however, uh, I do understand uh, I'm all for players making their own decision what they think is best for their future, and, and uh, if they think they're ready and they really want to leave college, I'm, I'm also fine with them leaving if that's what they want to do because at USC here we just try to give the best information possible to these young men and they have to make their own decisions. We don't try to influence their decision one way or the other. So I've seen it both ways, Andy, where where, uh, uh, it is beneficial for players to leave early. I've also seen uh, the devastation of players not getting drafted and, and, and not making it in the long term because they left too early. Uh, so as far as the ability to come back after the draft, 
I do think that there needs to be some kind of cutoff, and I don't know if it's before the draft like it is now or after the draft, but it does put the universities and the programs in an unusual spot because you only have 13 scholarships, and if a player says he's leaving and then you go and use that scholarship, he doesn't get drafted, and there's no scholarship remaining for him to come back, you know, then what do you do? Do you, do you add scholarships to, to men's basketball? And so there's a lot of things you, I think have to be thought through, and I'm probably not the right guy to answer that because I'm not uh, really smart enough to figure that out. Well, look, Andy, I can see the arguments on both sides on, on whether or not you guys should have been in last year, but for the record... On Selection Sunday, in our four-hour pre-selection show on March Madness Live at Turner in Atlanta, I did have you in. I was wrong, but I had you in. For the record. <laughs> just, you well, 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 you and everybody else in the country, because we had us in, too. So, <laughs> but, uh, Well, I appreciate, I appreciate the confidence in us, but uh, uh, we, 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 uh, we're so proud, Andy, of our team, what they accomplished with the injuries we had, with the Anthony Melton not playing a single game, Boatwright going down, and to still come in second to Pac-12, go to the conference championship game, have a chance to win the league, have an RPI of 34, win 11 games away from home. What Jordan McLaughlin and Elijah Stewart, Chemezi met to, those guys have been here a few years. What they've accomplished by setting the school record in USC basketball history with 71 wins over three years and having the, the run that they've had the last three seasons, they deserve all the credit, and we are just so proud of them. Whether we made the NCAA tournament or not, that doesn't take away what the, this group has accomplished and set our program up for success in the future. Well, Andy, we appreciate you uh, joining us here on March Madness 365. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. And up next here on March Madness 365, Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl. Uh, Co-champs of the SEC, a remarkable season this past season with Tennessee as Auburn gets the NCAA tournament under Bruce Pearl, which was really, uh, I don't know if it was a year ahead of schedule, but this is what you came to Auburn to do which is exactly what happened last season. Uh, how far ahead of schedule was this past season for you, Bruce? You know, I, I, I think sometimes they talk about those things as far as the schedule's concerned, and yet I don't know that coaches actually put a number on it. You know, we have, we have a contract. Sometimes the contract is four or five years, so you better get something done within that four or five-year time frame because there's a chance you're not going to get six unless you get it done. So that would be number one. Number two, it doesn't sort of happen overnight in the sense that it's been a it's been a process. Our first year we came here, we brought some credibility. We had a great run in the SEC tournament, winning three games for the first time since 1985. And then uh, two years ago, I had five freshman starters. We won 18 games. You could see the progress. And then most of those guys came back. And last year, in spite of being a little undersized and a little undermanned, we played hard and so well together. We caught fire at the right time. We spread it. We shot it. We took the league by surprise. And Tennessee and Auburn, who were picked like 10th and 13th, wind up finishing on top. You know, you created such a great buzz down there. I know when they built the new building, uh, it, it, it just didn't have that you know, that, that same feeling, that atmosphere. But since you've been there, you certainly have energized everyone about it. What was it like when you had that place rocking and rolling, when you guys were winning big-time SEC games to propel you toward that co-championship? Well, Andy, we, uh, we were really good in January and February, um, and we were going on the road and beating, you know, beating the, the best teams in our league, and, and we, were, we were playing great. Down the stretch, uh, with about eight games, nine games left, 
Anthony McLemore broke his foot and dislocated his ankle all in the same injury. It was horrific. And we finished the year three and five without him. But the long story short was our last three wins against uh, Alabama or against South Carolina at home. We flat out don't win those games without an incredible home court advantage. We sold out, hard sellout, couldn't get in, turned people away, seven out of our nine SEC home games. And so the Auburn family turned out. The jungle is, is really alive and well. It's about three-quarters of our court is surrounded by the student body. The, there's a tremendous amount of energy uh, in the building. And uh, I really do think it was a team effort in the sense that I don't think we win this championship without that home court advantage at the end of the year when we kind of limped home. I mean, it's crazy when you think about it that you share the championship with Tennessee, your former school, two programs that have had history but not consistent history in the sport, certainly in the SEC. But when you were at Tennessee, I'm just curious, truth serum here, uh, what did you see or maybe you never thought about it, what that potential could be at Auburn? When I was at Tennessee, my biggest fear of playing Auburn was just that the guys would overlook them, that they'd get excited about playing Florida or Kentucky or Vanderbilt or Georgia or whoever it was, particularly in the SEC East, and they just wouldn't show up. And of course, if you don't, if you didn't show up against Auburn, you know, Jeff Lebo, they were well coached. They beat your ass and they did on occasion. So when I came to Auburn, the first thing I just wanted to do is I just wanted to bring credibility and some respect. And I just didn't want to be a ball and chain around the, around the league. The five-year RPI for Auburn prior to our getting here was 251. Only TCU at 253 had a worse RPI. I mean, it was one of the it was one of the lower power five jobs in the entire country. And I did not want to be a ball and chain around SEC men's basketball at Auburn. So get credible, um, get competitive, play a tougher schedule, you know, build the program. And then obviously this past year we finished 16 in, in the RPI. So that was my big thing. Let's get good first. And then I, I really wasn't thinking – I don't know if I was thinking – that a championship would happen, uh, especially in my fourth year. But I'm really, really satisfied. This is probably the most satisfying championship uh, I've ever won, and and I've been blessed enough to win a few. All right, so let's look at the roster. Uh, As we're taping this in advance of the Memorial Day weekend, we don't know what's going to happen with your roster before the May 30th uh, deadline to withdraw from the NBA draft. At this juncture, though, with your players who are at least flirting with it, what, what are your thoughts going into sort of the stretch run of these of this decision process? Well, Andy, I got four guys that have declared. I probably think that's as much that's as many as anybody in college basketball. That's a story in and of itself. I mean, the fact that Auburn has got four guys that that are at least in the draft. Now, two of those guys, Jared Harper and Bryce Brown, did not have a lot of SEC offers. Um, those guys have worked so hard and have been so self-made. And for those two guys to have been second-team All-SEC in, in their in their sophomore and junior year, respectively, is beyond impressive. Bryce Brown was one of the 30 guys on the Naismith watch list. They've really improved. Um, those two guys, it would be my anticipation, will come back based on what I'm hearing from the NBA. But I don't know. And it's possible they, they stay and become a professional. They're, they're both good enough. Mustafa Heron and Austin Wiley have had more workouts. You know, Mustafa could be a late second round pick. He's physically mature. He's so disciplined, so hardworking. 
and I think he could opportunity if he stayed in, he would get drafted in the late second round potentially, uh, unless there was a team that fell in love with him and he went higher. Austin Wiley will get drafted for sure if he stays in the draft. Um, but it was his goal to try to be a first rounder, and there's so much more guaranteed money in the first round that I think that the, obviously their family is evaluating, hey, do we come back? He's a legacy child. Both of his parents were great players here at Auburn. His mom was a was an All-American, an Olympian. His dad, Aubrey, was a was the leading rebounder in the SEC his senior year. And I think there's a big part of Austin that would love to finish up and and be a, a, an even bigger part of a championship. That said, if he does decide to come back, he's turning down a second-round offer to come back to Auburn. That's a lot to turn down. So needless to say, we got all four of those guys back. Those are four potential starters, along with a really solid group of returning players. I would anticipate that Auburn would be picked in the top four or five uh, of the SEC next year and ha- absolutely have a chance to be preseason top 25. And that's something that we're, we're really excited about. All right. So of the returnees that you know for sure are coming back, those that did not declare, who, at least in your workouts, can you say, you know, right now, I expect big things from this guy next season? Boy, uh, they're all working out pretty hard. You know, Malik Dunbar, I think, is a guy that could that could break out this year. Uh, he was a six foot six inch, you know, big guard, physical, strong, shooting the ball. Samir Dowdy's been sitting out. He's a transfer for VCU. Uh, you know, he's really slippery in ball screens, and he, he's just a winner. He knows how to play. We're going to get Danjel Purifoy back. Danjel is for his size at six eight is a great shooter. And could be a has got a chance to be a pro. Chuma Kiki, who had a really good freshman year, could be one of our best players next year as a as a sophomore. You know, six foot nine uh, is good inside and out. Extremely extremely versatile. Horace Spencer will be a senior. You know, Anthony McLemore is 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 rehabbing that that foot injury. He's way ahead of schedule. I think by July first, he's going to still play. Andy, I think the the key to our team is not really just one or two guys. I think the key to our team is I gotta have ten guys that can play. I'm gonna uh, we will not drop off when we go to our bench. And and I don't know that there's many teams in the country that can say that. So Macklemore, in terms of his health, you think you'd be good to go then uh this summer, full go uh, and ready for the season? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and if, if if people wanna know who Anthony Macklemore is, two things. Number one, he got accepted to Harvard and MIT. And he decided to come to Auburn to play basketball. Uh, and also because he, he wanted to, you know, our school of business is outstanding. And he's going to, Anthony McLemore has got a chance in, in four years to get both his bachelor's and his master's in accountancy. That's what, that's what he's working towards. And he's Jordan Bell. If you watch the Cleveland Cavaliers, or if you watch Oregon uh, a year ago, Anthony McLemore reminds me a lot of Jordan Bell. And uh, again, a guy without one single SEC offer. He was the eighth or ninth man on the Atlanta Celtics AAU team. And sometimes you just have to look past ratings and see what's in a kid's heart. And Purifoy, he is cleared to go? He's got to sit out a certain portion of the beginning of the season. Uh, Right now, uh, I believe it's uh, eight or nine games. Um, these are, it's something that we are in discussion with the NCAA about whether or not that will be nine or less, you know, Austin and, and, and Daniel having to sit out last year, the entire season, they paid a very heavy price for the mistakes that they made and the mistakes that were made. 
I'm grateful to the NCAA for going through the process with us and restoring both of their eligibility uh, for next season. And any other uh, impact newcomers that we didn't mention? You know, Jamal Johnson transferred. He's going to have to sit out this year. And uh, uh, he, he, he's a Birmingham a young man. His dad, Buck Johnson, was a great player in All-American Alabama, a terrific pro. Um, he sits one place, three. Great kid, hard worker, going to be a solid, really good player for us, Very a very versatile guard. We've got a lot of things going in recruiting, but you know how it is in recruiting, Andy. There's so much of it we really can't talk about, can't get ahead of, of a situation. We're excited about playing in Maui next year. You know, one more step in, in the direction of Auburn basketball being relevant to the world, world of college basketball. We made the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2003. We won a game. We won our first-round game. That's eight or nine straight first-round wins for Auburn. Kansas, Syracuse, I think there's another school that is like we're fourth in, in first round wins as far as consecutive is concerned. So I'm glad we kept that streak going. And an invitation to the Maui Invitational, you know, Andy, having covered college basketball for so very long. That is a tournament that's usually reserved for the very best in college basketball. And just to be invited to that says something about how far this program's come. Now, what else do you have on the schedule in non-conference? Uh, we're going to be going to uh, starting this home-and-home series with NC State. We go to go to NC State. Uh, you, we play UAB. We've been playing them in a four-year series of home-and-home. Home. We'll be up at, in Birmingham at the BJCC uh, to play UAB. So those will be our two road games right now. Uh, the home schedule obviously will feature you know, several teams in the SEC as well as we're playing Dade at home in the return of a home-and-home. Uh, Murray State in return of a home and home. We're starting a series with South Alabama, and uh, we'll be playing here first, then there, then back here, two for one. So yeah, I think the schedule is going to be challenging and, and certainly get us ready for conference play. And before I let you go, Bruce, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the passing of Mike Slive, former SEC commissioner. I know you were in attendance uh, at his memorial service in Birmingham. You've known him for a long time. I've known him for a long time. Uh, he was obviously the commissioner when you were at Tennessee. Uh, what I described when I heard of his passing on Twitter, I said, you know, to me, he was a true mensch. Uh, and for those that uh, don't know what that means in Yiddish, it is someone who, you know, is just such a just a, a good person who does right by others and you know always thinks of other people. I mean, that's sort of the paraphrasing definition of a mensch. And that's who he was to me. Uh, what did he mean to you? I agree with you completely, Andy. And um, I think that um, he, he reminded me very much of uh, of, uh, of Moses historically, uh, the father of many nations, uh, trying to keep the 12 tribes of the SEC all moving in the right direction as we navigate our way through the desert. Um, doing it some, doing it as a very wise grandfather, he truly cared about about people, and yet. He carried his staff, and um, he could wield that power, and yet he could do so in, in a very, very gentle way. Truly, a very, very good, very, very wise, very willing to share, visionary, and um, one of the most powerful men in sports. And yet, you would never know it by his demeanor or the way he treats people. Just uh, like you said, a true mensch. Bruce, appreciate it as always. We'll look forward to seeing what happens with your roster over the next couple of weeks. And uh, thanks for joining me here on March Madness 365. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Andy. 
And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. We cover the sport year-round for you here on Turner Podcasts. It's associated with NCAA.com. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Every week, we bring you the newsmakers from college basketball. Thanks for listening.